waiting for the PowerPoint. Ah, there we go. So this morning, um, I want to speak to you um, on a subject that is, I guess, I have to be honest and say one of my favorite subjects to speak on, if you know me, and uh, that is the subject of spirit life. And I want to do that for two reasons. I think the one is that if we begin to look at the the New Testament church, you'll discover that one of the reasons that the New Testament church is countercultural, as we were speaking early on, was because and is because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of people. The other reason I want to speak on this is because whenever I talk about spirit life and when we talk about what spirit life means, and I think when we talk about spirit life, we're talking about things like the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, relying on the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit. People have got so many different ways of evaluating whether that's true of them. In other words, how do we know that we're living a spiritual life? How do we know that the power of God is at work in us? How do we know that we rely on the Holy Spirit? And I've got, heard so many different uh, ways that people test that or evaluate whether uh, that is true in their lives. And so I want to, um, want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, I think it would also be true to say that the majority of us here, and I hope all of us would say we believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's great. Um, the, the tragedy, if I may say, is very few of us understand fully what it means to live by the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. So we've got ideas. We've got certainly, it's not nothing, but there's a lot more that we have to learn. And I've discovered even as a pastor, as I've been very intentional about the subject and seeking to understand more about the subject, how much I've had to learn about spirit life myself. So what I want us to do this morning is to look a little bit at what the Bible teaches uh, on the subject. And we, we're going to dive in right at the, at the beginning and talk about the promise that Jesus makes uh, to his disciples uh, about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's good to start there. And for a reason, I have found we, and even this has happened to me, we have a tendency to water down what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit around our own experience. In other words, we take our own experience to be the norm, and then we read that into the Bible. And I want to say to you what the Bible does is actually is meant to, it's meant to shape what you expect. It's meant to determine our expectations. It's meant to determine the way we see things. And what I've found is as you get into the Bible and you start to read about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there comes a sense of excitement and anticipation of what God has said He's going to do. And I think we need to resist the temptation to reinterpret the Word of God to suit our reality. That's unacceptable. Our reality is not the norm. What God says in His Word is to be the norm. And so, when Jesus began to teach his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he wanted them to know what was going to happen after he ascended. And there are two reasons he wanted to know, them to know that. The first is this. He didn't want them to feel as though he had deserted them. 
Because you can imagine they, there'd been this uh, relationship they developed with Jesus over three, three and a half years. There, there was quite a close relationship, quite a bond. He had been discipling them over these years. And suddenly what he knew, and they were about to discover, that he knew he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to ascend to heaven. He knew that physically he would no longer be with them. And they could immediately interpret that as, well, we're all on our own now. And that's not a great place. And you remember what they did do when he was crucified? They all ran away. So they were in quite a crisis in that moment. So he wanted to assure them that I'm not leaving you as orphans, is, is what the Bible says. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But there's another reason that he, he teaches them that. He wanted them to realize that there was a new season that was going to begin in their lives. And so with the ascension was coming the Holy Spirit, and that was going to be their new reality. And their new reality with this coming of the Spirit was going to be a pivotal event for the New Testament church. And if you realize that, that the, it's, the coming of Jesus was hugely significant. We're going to celebrate that um, in, in not too long from now. The, the birth of Jesus. Another very significant event in the life of the church was the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. But, but a pivotal event is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, let's look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then if we fast forward into, into the book of Acts, we discover what Jesus says to his disciples just before he ascends. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now the reason this is such a pivotal event for the New Testament church is that for the very first time in all of history, everyone would receive the Holy Spirit. Every person. Irrespective of age, of gender, or of culture. Acts 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And we see this happening for the very first time, the outpouring of the spirit, what Jesus had promised in John chapter 14. We see it happening on the day of Pentecost. And, and we discover it that on the day of Pentecost, the disciples... And the believers who were meeting together with them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. For the very first time in history, we see this happening. Where people receive 
the Holy Spirit, as only prophets and kings and priests had done in the Old Testament. Now for everybody, this becomes a reality. And the reason this happens is because the disciples listened to what Jesus said. He said, wait in Jerusalem. Wait and pray until the coming of my Spirit. And so the Bible tells us that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And what I've realized over years as I've preached on this subject, as I've heard sermons on this subject, is people like to package or try and package the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, they try and package it. Well, this is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be sealed with the Spirit. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This is what it means to be baptized with the Spirit. But I want to say to you, the most important thing that we need to know is, is the Spirit of God at work in you? That's the key thing. You see, the Bible doesn't package it. It just uses terminology to speak to us about the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Three of those incidents, which I want to just highlight to you, the one is what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian, is that a person only becomes a follower of Jesus and a Christian when they've been born of the Spirit. John chapter 3. Can we go to the next slide, please? There we go. It's what... And you can read that for yourself while I'm talking. But, but remember, a Christian is not just somebody who's decided to follow Jesus. A Christian is somebody who's been born of the Spirit. In other words, there's been a spiritual life they've received because there is a process that started in them that Jesus called being born again. Jesus also speaks about, uh, rather Paul also speaks about the fact that we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Do you know that's for every believer? You all happy with that? It, do you know that's the will of God for all of us, that we are Spirit-filled believers? So in Ephesians 5, if we can have that slide up, please. It speaks about the fact that we are not to, become, uh, to, be, to get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but we are to be filled with the Spirit all the time. It's in the continuous, every day, all the time. We are to be filled with the Spirit. And then Jesus also highlights the fact, if we can have the next slide, please, also highlights the fact there's an empowering aspect to the Holy Spirit. Because he said you will receive, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you remember that, uh, how the early church took that very seriously. So when they had opposition, they prayed. And they said, Lord, give us boldness, that we'll be able to speak the word of God with boldness, that there'll be signs and wonders and miracles. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And that journey started for me, and I've told you this before, years ago as, as a young person. Well, one day I was at a youth camp and just said, Lord, I need to know some, I need to experience more of your power. I need to know, Lord, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so at that stage, a journey began for me that's brought me right up until today. I was reading when I was uh, preparing for this message this morning, reading uh, and, and doing research, as, as I always will do. 
and uh, came across a story that I thought I'd love to just share with you. And it's a story about David Pawson, who was a, who was a preacher in the church in, in the UK. And uh, he had a person in the church that he called was his thorn in the flesh. And his name was James. He said this guy was always opposing him, always criticizing, always resisting. And he said once a year, this man had a lung problem. And at once here, with a change of season, as so many of you do have, he would get a lot of fluid on his lungs and he would be confined to bed for two or three weeks. And he said that was his greatest time in the life of the church. No opposition. <laughs> Just being honest. Anyway, I went to visit this guy, Jimmy, and he went to visit him and, and Jimmy said to him, said, Pastor, I want you to, according to Acts, uh, not Acts, um, James chapter 5, I want you to pray for me for healing. Call on the elders of the church to pray for you. So he said, reluctantly, he said, okay, I'll come and pray for you. And so David Paulson decided that he would go and spend some time praying in the church building before he went to visit uh, James to go and pray for him. And he said, I was praying behind the pulpit and saying, Lord, I'm just, I just need to ask you. And by the way, what I forgot to tell you is David Paulson never prayed for anybody to be healed, to be healed before ever. He said, I was praying behind the, sp- the pulpit just calling on the Lord, and the Spirit of God came upon me. He said, it had been my very first time ever of being filled with the Spirit. And he said, I found myself praying in, an, in another language that I'd never, ever done myself. I started, found myself praying over there, and, and I looked at my watch, and I'd been praying for an hour, and I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I went on to, to visit Jimmy, and uh, came there and prayed for him for healing, and he said, after I prayed for him as healing, I got out of there as quickly as possible. But he made one fleeting comment. He said, because Jimmy was due to go on a, a business trip and needed to catch a plane, if you need to catch a plane, give me a call. I'm happy to pick you up. Next morning, on the phone, Jimmy phones him and says, Pastor, can you pick me up to, to go to the airport? He said, are you all right? He said, I'm 100%. He said, what happened to you? He said, in the middle of the night, he said, like two hands took hold of my chest and began to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze me. And he said, out of that came a healing process, and I've been to the doctor, I am 100%. And he said, out of that event, three things took place. David Pawson said, number one, Jimmy and I became friends. <laughs> oh, sorry, the, the part that I wanted to, to mention to you, James says that when you pray for somebody for healing, you are to confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. I thought you might appreciate this. When he went to see James, he said, look, the Bible says we've got to confess our sins. And he said, James, I don't like you. (laughs) And James said, the feelings likewise. (laughs) So they confessed their sins, had prayer. The guy gets healed. He said that guy became his closest friend. Secondly, he never ever got sick like that again. And thirdly, both James and his wife got filled with the Spirit after that. I just want to say to you, when God is at work, there is evidence that he's at work. And that's the key thing that I wanted to leave us with this morning. By the way, that doesn't mean I'm finished the sermon. It's just what I want to leave you with. Because there are two fundamental ways to test whether you are living a Spirit-filled life. And it's not whether you speak in tongues. And in saying that, I'm not a, I personally speak in tongues, but those are not the tests 
there are two tests. Number one, I want us to look at those briefly. Number one, what God is doing through you. That's the first test. How God is at work through you. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks about the gifts of the Spirit that are given to Christians because that's the way God tends to work through people um, and through their lives, through the gifts that He has given to them. He says, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And we are given spiritual gifts. And I want to emphasize this. This is one of the ways the Spirit works through us. This isn't about me claiming to be a fantastic prophet or I can do signs, wonders, and miracles. God is saying, I'm giving you a gift because I want to be at work through you. This isn't about me. This is about Him. And you know what the evidence of that is? We will see people who have spiritual wisdom in the church. There will be people who have words of knowledge. People will have a gift of faith. There will be supernatural healings. There will be signs, wonders, and miracles. There will be words of prophecy. Friends, that's how the church is supposed to operate. This is not an unusual, abnormal thing. And so Paul says, all of these, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one as He determines. And I share that with you this morning because this information helps us to realign our perspective of the New Testament church. The picture we have of the New Testament church is many people using different gifts that God has given to Him to bring glory to His name and for the common good. That's the picture of the church. And so once again, we keep coming back to the New Testament picture we have of the church, God being at work through many different people in many different ways. And so the church is about all of us being intentional about using our gifts. And when people do that, we see more and more evidence of what God is doing amongst us. Now, I want to just touch on, on something important here. When we don't do that, in other words, when we are not using our spiritual gifts, when everybody's not involved in serving, we start to get a lopsided picture of the church. And I'll tell you what the lopsided picture is. The lopsided picture is that it's abnormal for people to use their spiritual gifts. It's abnormal to see manifestations of the Holy Spirit through people in the church. And so when that becomes the norm and that becomes the DNA of the church, it's incredibly difficult to change people's view of the way in which God works through us. Something we've got to hold on to and something we need to embrace, God works through the Spirit, through the gifts He has placed in each one of us. And for me, and probably good to say this to you this morning, a spiritual gift is not a feeling you get. It's like I don't sit at home and say, I feel like I've got the gift of prophecy. I feel like I've got the gift of service. It's not a feeling I get. This is the way it works. I just seem to see God supernaturally and unusually at work in my life, and I can't explain why. That's what a gift is. 
And that, that's not something to be proud of. In fact, it's very humbling because you've got no good reason and you can't explain why something like this is happening. You just know it's happening. And so, if I can give you some advice when it comes to spiritual gifts, start serving God and watch what happens when you do. That's the way it happens. I think many of us are like waiting for this wonderful revelation, this moment when God speaks from heaven and said, John, I've given you. It doesn't work like that. No, no, I'm serious. It's, it's as we serve, as we start obeying God, as we start serving Him in the body, you start to notice something. You start to notice, wow, God seems to use me in the area of wisdom. Wow, God starts, seems to use me when I pray for people. I see that, they, that, that, that people are getting healed. Wow, And so we're about the work of the Lord, and then the Spirit of God comes, and you say, wow, okay, now I know what's happening over here, because God's at work. Okay, so one evidence of the work of the Spirit in your life, of the spiritful life, is what God is doing through us. The other evidence is what God is doing in us. And so we pick that up in Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says this, live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Then Paul goes on in that same chapter and he tells you what evidence there will be of us living by the Spirit. And that's what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm sure all of us uh, will remember that. And... um, Elena, I'm a little bit further than you. Oh, there we are. You've got me. Great. Um, Let me read that to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, here's something to remember. The truth is that the fruit of the Spirit is no no less supernatural than the gifts of the Spirit. In other words, it's as much of a miracle to see the fruit of the Spirit as it is for somebody to say, I've got a gift of healing or tongues or whatever it is. They are equally equally the work of God. And so, one of the evidences that a person has a true, genuine relationship with Jesus is that we love one another. That's what it says in 1 John 4. Let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everybody who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, I think you are very familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, and we can quote it. Most of us here this morning can quote it. The thing that I want to talk about is how you know that that love of God is at work within you. And I have discovered that Whenever I'm struggling to love somebody, the problem is usually with me, not them. Most people tell me when they're struggling to love somebody, but they are doing X, Y, and Z. Do you notice the Bible doesn't give you license to say that? Because love is meant to be a... Supernatural thing. In fact, Jesus said that if you want to know how people are his disciples, it's by the way they love one another. I don't know if you've also noticed that some people are really easy to love and others are really difficult to love. Have any of you found that like me? 
I found some people are like, it's so nice, you're just like, awesome, you spend all day with them. Other people, you've got to kind of dig in. And, uh, and yet I'm finding that God is saying, we need to love one another. And so whenever that happens to me, I'm going back and I'm saying, God, I need a deeper and more powerful work of the Spirit in me to enable me to love people in the way you want me to love them. See, you've got to acknowledge where you're at. I need to acknowledge where I'm at. It's not a terrible thing to say I'm struggling to love somebody. It's a bad thing if you stop there and don't go to the Holy Spirit and say, God, you said that I will be able to love as a fruit of the Spirit. That makes sense to you? So I need to tell you of an event that happened to me the other day because it's good to confess your sins. One to another. So I was coming down... um, the road the other day to the circle, you know the circle at the bottom of Kendall Road there, I was coming from Constantiaberg Hospital, and you know what often happens at the circle, the cars get kind of backed up there when the traffic is heavy, and so we were backed up there, there must have been four or five cars, and right there where we were all backed up, you know there's a pharmacy on the corner and there's parking for the pharmacy, for those of you who know it. And I was parked there and somebody in a motor car just reversed straight into me, and we're all standing dead still, it's like, come on. But here's the thing that I need to confess to you. I was more concerned about my car getting damaged than about the person involved in the accident. Now, I'm telling you that for a reason, because I needed to go home and ask myself, John, what's really going on in your heart? Because it's not acceptable to do that. That's an unacceptable response. And I had to say, through that event... Even although I wasn't in the wrong, it showed me something about me that needed to be addressed. I needed to go back to God and I needed to say, God, my response wasn't what I believe you wanted it to be. And I needed to repent of that and I needed to deal with that and I needed to say, Holy Spirit, there needs to be evidence that you're at work in this situation. That makes sense to you. You see, it's for me, I take the responsibility for me of dealing with those things. On Wednesday this week, we had a church AGM, and uh, part of the agenda for that AGM is we, we were voting for and electing new elders. And for the first time in 49 years in this church, there were two ladies whose names got put forward for um, eldership. And while uh, Jacob Igbo, who's away in Brazil at the moment on a missions conference, was elected, they weren't. And although there was a good majority vote, they didn't achieve the required 75%. And I know a lot of people felt really hurt through that experience. And I've probably spent most of my week since then praying with people, talking to people who've had to journey through that. And I don't want to comment on, on the whole dynamics of that. I, all I want to say to you this morning is there's one thing as a church we need to do. We need to go to God and say we've got to love one another through this because that's the key thing here. The thing that makes the difference when everything falls over is can we still love each other? All of us. Because the greatest commandment is that you love God and that we love one another. And there's, there's a journey and there are things that we need to work through around that. 
I just realized in the hurt and the pain of that situation that we need to, as a body now, practice what we speak about. And that is loving one another. We need to love Edwina and Dale as they took a step for the first time, as I said, in 49 years in this church. It was a big step for them. And it was very hard for them. And I honor them for that. But there's also a lot of sense, and I know that within the church, a lot of hurt. And all I want to say this morning in closing off is this. More than ever, let's love one another now. And I shared with you a little bit of my own experience and where I've journeyed, not, not to try and make an issue of me, but to realize there are times when you've got to investigate your own heart. There are times when you've got to go back and say, God, things are not right with me. And I want to promise you there's one thing that you can do. Say, Lord, will you fill me with your spirit? Lord, will you work in me by your spirit so that I become the person you want me to be? Whether this is worth anything to you or not, let me tell you, I've tried really hard to be a loving person, and it doesn't work trying to do it in your own strength. What I have also discovered is when I've submitted myself to God, when I've repented of the things in my own life, whether, whether that's been an attitude to somebody, whether it's been through a racial incident, whatever that is, but when I've gone to God and repented and humbled myself before God and said, Holy Spirit, will you come? That's when I've changed. That's when I've been able to be different. And I want to say to you, if you want to know if the Holy Spirit's at work, if you want to know you're living a spiritual life, as much as I believe in speaking in tongues, that's not the true sign. Because I've heard tongues-speaking people be very unloving. Two signs. What's God doing through you? And what's God doing in you? Those are the tests of spirit life. Those are the true tests of the Holy Spirit. You will discover using your gifts is way more easy than displaying the fruit. Because it's in you. It's something we can often hide. But the Lord knows our hearts. And so I want us to pray this morning. And really pray for a fresh moving of the Spirit in our church today. And that there would be an evidence of that in what God is doing through us. But also what God is doing in us. So let's pray together. When Jesus spoke to his disciples at Pentecost, he said to them, wait for the promise of the Father. And they were to have an expectation. They were to trust him. They were to believe that God was going to do what he promised, irrespective of the fact they'd never ever experienced that in their life before. Jesus said, you'll be baptized with the Spirit. Maybe what I've been sharing with you this morning is something you know about, but it may not be something you've really experienced in your life. Maybe this morning will be the beginning of that journey for you.
Maybe for others you're saying, when I look at my own life, I desire deeply a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Not to try and be a super evangelist or a super Christian, but to be the kind of person that Jesus wants me to be. And so in a sense, there's an invitation. Because Jesus said to his disciples, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So this morning, maybe your prayer is, Lord, I want to ask for a, an infilling of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you will come and take control. Holy Spirit, you will move in my life. Holy Spirit, there will be an evidence that you're at work in me. And God, I won't stop praying the prayer until I'm different. Until I see your hand upon me. Until I see you at work through me. Because friends, our hope has to be in what God can do. Not just what we can do. And so we pray this morning, Lord, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this church. We pray, God, that there will be evidence, ongoing evidence, of you being at work through us, Lord. There will also be evidence, Lord, of you being at work in us. I want to pray, God, that the rest of Cape Town will know that we are your disciples. By the way, we love one another. Lord, I know we are asking you for a miracle. But Lord, you are the God of miracles. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If any of you would like some prayer, um, for what I've been speaking about this morning, please feel free to come to the front. I'll hang around here for a bit, and if you'd like prayer, love to just pray with you.